Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. Good morning to you. It's nine minutes after 9 a.m. It's Mayor Thursday, and uh, joining me via the telephone this morning is Rick Rosenberg, the mayor of Santa Clara City. Rick, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on today. I know you're a busy man. You got to, you, you got to squeeze me in between meetings this morning. That's very kind of you. Not a problem, sir. Let's talk about your day job a little bit. Uh, Rick is with uh, Rosenberg and Associates. Tell us again what you do, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions about what's going on right now in St. George. Um, uh, yeah, Rosenberg Associates is a civil engineering and land surveying firm based in St. George. We're, we're locally owned and work a lot in the land development industry and building construction and municipal engineering, those types of fields that it's um, been around for over 30 years and hmm. and uh, hopefully be around for another 30 years. It, it takes time to get, uh, you know, when, when, when a guy says, hey, I want to develop a piece of land, it takes time for him to do that. And there's a lot of things that he has to do. One of them is to, to uh, maybe maybe give you a call and have you evaluate the land. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know, you, you find out if there's blue clay, stuff like that. But um, in, in these crazy times, Rick, where we're having, you know, a lot of people want to move here, and there aren't a lot of houses. And the uh, quite frankly, right now with, with with the process of building a home, that's not keeping keeping up either. Have you felt a, a tremendous uptick? Is there pressure on you to hurry and get get your job done? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's as busy as we've ever been right now. Wow. There's a, a lot of demand to for housing in the area, and um, we're kind of limited, Washington County, and. And St. George area in particular is kind of limited on the available private land that can be developed. Yeah. And a lot of the, the prime pieces um, have already been developed. And so we're looking at pieces, uh, the remaining private pieces that are a little bit harder to serve with road and utility infrastructure. Um, maybe some infill that's going through a change, changing from an old use to a but newer use, a lot of people want to do higher density stuff that tends to get the neighbors um, wound up, and so yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a challenge right now. But um, but it's you know it's good work too. I hate it when the neighbors get worked up. But uh, <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. We had actually actually had a caller uh, on yesterday uh, discussing things with. Uh, Zach Renstrom, the Water Conservancy Board Chair and uh, and President there, and and basically we're we're talking about the available land, and you were, you had mentioned it just now, and what you were saying, the land that's available to develop a large portion of Utah and Southern Utah in particular is BLM land. That means it's owned by the federal government. Uh, so when you say there's limited land for us to develop, that that is one of the reasons why is that going to change because i'd heard that the, the the government federal government will actually give land or sell land to uh private industry to develop do you think that'll change or or not you know um 20 years ago or so santa clara annexed uh 1500 acres of blm land um south and west of the city along our our westerly boundary um, the city fathers at that time recognized that Santa Clara was landlocked and that we would eventually run out of, of places to to develop and be able to grow. And so they 
they were proactive and they annexed 1,500 acres. And and to this day, BLM hasn't released um, an acre of it for development um, to you know a private party. The city has been able to obtain some property out there for public purposes. Um, we got a 50-acre park this last year that's kind of up in the South Hills. It'll It'll, the city's planning to develop an adventure park. Um, it'll tie to some of the existing trails, trailheads, and and provide some uh, mountain bike training courses and some pavilion and some nice public space out in the South Hills to kind of take advantage of those recreational opportunities. But there really hasn't been any any effort to release it. And in the meantime, they've they've done some environmental studies and established some new areas of critical environmental concern and identified portions within that 1,500 acres that can never be developed under federal mandate. And so it seems that, uh, you know, that there's not a real push, even though the property was identified for disposal in the land bill and, and southern or the western corridor roadway is supposed to go out through it. There doesn't seem to be a a lot of interest on the BLM part to move on that. Um, there's the city's had problems in the past out there with with the the mix of shooting and hiking and and uh, and biking and ATVs, and so the city's been kind of proactive trying to get a shooting range site out on the BLM. But we're being told that now, due to the establishment of the new um, Area Six and the expansion of the HCP. Mm-hmm. The, that site's not going to be available for us. So, uh, you know, from a city's perspective, we haven't really been able to grow any of the city in that 1,500 acres over the last 20 years. Um, and personally, I, I really doubt if there's going to be any of that property get uh, released for development, you know, in the future. Um, so- city council's considering even changing the boundary and, and pulling the the city boundary back to the historic boundary, so that the liability of the land that comes with the city would you know pass back to the BLM, and and uh, you know the city wouldn't be responsible for land that can't um, you know bring potential revenues into the city. So, so you're saying there's a that when we say there's a limited amount of land that we can use for future development, there really is. It, it doesn't seem like that's going to change. Yeah, I mean, the the BLM transfers that I'm aware of are usually trading land for properties that the BLM wants because of either, you know, sensitive environmental concerns or or other reasons that they want to keep. It makes sense to keep it in the public name, and so they'll exchange property to make that happen. But there doesn't see a real, there seem to be a real active um, disposal of property you know, at the current time, and, and I don't know if that's going to change. So, yeah, I, I think we're fairly well limited to what we have. That's causing property values to go up. That's raising the price of homes and starting to affect the, you know, being able to, you know, working families to be able to get into homes. Yeah. And it's that's just going to get worse going forward. It's definitely frustrating. I know I have three kids that live up uh on the Wasatch Front, and uh, they, I think, would love to come back. Uh, but, and and that's not to say prices aren't expensive up there as well. They are, uh, right. but but they're entrenched where they are, and the only way they would, co- you know, come back is if they could somehow find a good deal and get down here, 
and live in southern Utah for what they are living uh, on right now. And uh, that doesn't right now doesn't bode well for for my kids, for other people's kids. Uh, Rick, is there an answer? I mean, is it is there something we can do as a, you can do as a mayor? We can do as as a populist. You know, there's there's a lot of discussion um, going on right now. The uh, trying to find uh, you know attainable housing, um, housing for the workforce, housing for our young people. Um, density is usually uh, brought into that conversation. That if the if you allow for some increased density, that you can spread that land cost out and spread that development cost out over more units and be able to reduce the price. But it's in the end of the day, it's market driven. Um, yeah. Developers will sell their product for what someone will buy it for, and right now there is a, a large influx of of buyers that are willing to pay more, and um, then you know some of our our kids that are just starting out, um, young families, um, teachers. Uh, police officers, firefighters, you know, those people that are essential workers within our community that you really want to have them live there are having a hard time, um, you know, finding a product that that they can get into. So, I mean, the the governor has got some um, committees that are working on it. The legislature has put some mandates on the cities to have affordable housing plans, and now we're being forced to implement those. And so they're checking on us to make sure that if we – that we've got a plan, but also that we're um, implementing that plan. And uh, I hope it doesn't come to the point that it's a mandate to where every development comes in has to produce a a fixed number of of attainable units. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it may come to that, so... Is, is there's there... a lot of effort going into it. I don't think there's a silver bullet out there, though. There's, oh. This is going to take a, a lot of things and a lot of effort by a number of of people, um, you know, to make it work. Is there high-density housing in Santa Clara? You know, high-density housing in Santa Clara is right now is townhomes. Um, okay. Santa Clara predominantly, uh, historically, has been a single-family yeah. residential uh, suburb of St. George. Um, over the last, um, you know, eight years or so, there has been a, a number of, of townhome projects that have been approved primarily up in the northern part of the city, um, north of Goobler Park and Lava Ridge Elementary. Uh, we have um, one under, const- well, there's two of them under construction right now out in Santa Clara and, and several more in the planning stages. There's a, a prod. we've never had a pure apartment project in Santa Clara. Everything has been a for sale product, but there are, uh, there is one at least um, rental type high density project that is proposed to come into the city. And so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But high density in Santa Clara is, is less than 12 units to the acre, okay. which sounds fairly high, but when you get up, you know, a lot of communities in town, you'll see in St. George, you'll see 15 units the acre. You'll see, you know, 20 units per acre on some of the high-density stuff. And so um, we're still relatively low density out there. 
Talking with Santa Clara Mayor Rick Rosenberg, also uh, runs Rosenberg and Associates, and uh, he has a, a third kind of part-time job as a, he is a writer, and uh, he and I have a kinship there. Uh, we've both been freelance writers for uh, quite some time. Uh, has your writing gig with uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, has it dried up with COVID, or are you able to get back at it? Uh, the the newspapers pretty much dried up. Um mm. They canceled all of the trips out to the lodges, um, working with the paper last year. Uh, they're still doing um, trips through a, a separate program now, but the, I think the relationship between Sportsman's News and Sportsman's Warehouse is over. Oh, and um, so, yeah, it's kind of been a oh, – that, that was that was how I blew up a lot of stress was going on those trips <laughs> and, and be able to – have some good times there and went to some amazing places but you know we still got some some trips planned um, probably do some on my own um if canada opens back up there's a couple places up there that i would love to go um the quarantines and the travel restrictions really hurt it where it, if like you went, tried to go to alaska last spring you'd have to quarantine when you got there um it takes a week-long trip and turns it into three weeks, and then you may have to quarantine when you get home. That would right. extend it even more, and so the time commitment was just tough. Um, but we'll get out. I've been fishing a lot locally, and um, I may try and do some, some local spotlights, but work has been really busy, so it's been uh, it's been okay to you know have a little break that, that way. Yeah, you, you can't leave if they need you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, there was a story in the news today. I'll get your reaction on this. A man in Tennessee uh, says he caught an over 100 pound uh, fish in Cherokee Lake. He thought it was a catfish, but when it came out of the water, it turned out to be a gigantic paddlefish. Do you know anything about that? I've, just what I've read and seen in the magazines. I fished with a, a writer from Oklahoma who had had some experience with those and. Uh, looks like a pretty fun fight. looks like it would tear up light tackle pretty easy. And so um, probably an experience you'd be best to prepare for. But uh looks like he had a pretty good time, too, catching that size of a fish. Anytime you catch a fish that big, it's it's going to be fight. It's going to be a lot of work, and, and uh, you're going to love every second of it. He took a few pictures, and he put it back in the, in the lake, by the way, just mm-hmm. for the record, which I guess is what a true Great. sportsman does, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a time to, to keep a fish and eat a fish, and I don't have any problem with that. I eat a lot of fish, mm-hmm. but, you know, fish like that, um, fish that uh, are fairly rare, and they're not everywhere, um, I think you're best to turn them loose, and especially the large ones. The large ones probably aren't going to be that good to eat anyway. Uh, typically when we go and catch even some of the larger, you know, king salmon and some of the larger silvers and and um, especially some of the larger warm water species in the bass, the, the smaller ones eat a lot better than the big ones. But uh, the big ones are sure fun to catch and take pictures of. Yeah, for sure. Uh, talking with Rick Rosenberg, mayor of Santa Clara. Now, uh, obviously, uh, each city has a list of calendar events, uh, important events for that city, historical events sometimes, like, like Swiss Days for Santa Clara. Uh, have you guys been able to start piecing together your calendar uh, before, you know, well, obviously COVID it, it last March, things really got, everything got either canceled or turned upside down. Have you been able to start piecing things together so that life is somewhat normal in Santa Clara? 
Um, it's it, it's not back to normal yet, but it's it's coming back. Um, the city approved a special event um, last night at council meeting for the True Grit um, mountain bike race. It's uh, an endurance mountain bike race. Ooh, it's wow. probably happened 11, 11 years now. Um, and they, uh, they start in the downtown Santa Clara, finish in downtown Santa Clara, and ride between 50 and 350 miles over Ooh. a couple of days. I don't even in, like to ride in a car Hill. that long, Rick. <laughs> yeah, these guys are these guys are are tough. Um, they're athletes, and uh, you know it's an event that's happened you know for a long time, and um, we were able to put the COVID uh, protocols in place, and the event organizers have been um, committed to to enforce those, and council gave them a permit, and so we're starting to see a few of those things. The Little League. And we had council little league last year. Oh, when, uh, that you know, something you you hate to to do is is you know cancel a new sports, but because of the the pandemic, um, they canceled little league season last last spring. Um, the their registration is open right now for for the Snow Canyon Little League, and we're planning on having games. And we've had um, softball games. Um, through the fall and through the winter and and uh there was one tournament that had to be canceled because there was some uh you know positive tests that, that showed up at the tournament but for the most part they've been running pretty smooth and and the event coordinators are have been doing a good job of of keeping people safe and so you know things are returning to normal there i get calls now from wedding planners that want to use the uh the city's Heritage Square and Town Hall for wedding venues. Uh, they've been popular wedding venues over the years, and, and we kind of closed that down with COVID, but I think we'll be opening those up. You know, next month we'll probably be able to start scheduling some of those events. Uh, Chamber of Commerce is coming out for one of their luncheons next month. There'll be COVID restrictions in place, so things are things are getting back to normal. It's not back yet and probably won't be for a while till. You know, the vaccination percentage goes way up, and we develop a herd immunity, and, and the number of cases go down. But talking to the health department yesterday, cases, numbers are going in the right direction. Hospitalizations are going in the right direction. I think we're hopeful that things are moving in the right direction, and we'll be able to open more things up. Yeah, we're certainly uh, uh, hoping for the best, wishing for the best, and hopefully, we'll, like you said, we'll be able to. It'd be nice by maybe a, a, the end of the summer, perhaps, to have life be you know, back to where we hope it, we hope it was. But uh, much credit to a lot of groups out there that have been able to make things happen. I was over, not quite in Santa Clara, but right on the verge of Santa Clara last night for a high school basketball game at Snow Canyon High School. And, um, you know, there wasn't a full crowd. The student section, I think they only were allowed 50 or 75 or something like that. But other than a few empty seats, it felt like, that 2020 never happened. It felt like it was uh, it was a, a normal uh, high school basketball region competition, Rick. So I think there's hope. There's hope. Hope being, burns eternal, right? Mm-hmm. It does. And the school district's done an amazing job yeah. um, with the way they've been able to keep uh, the kids in classes and in-person learning and, and have the option for the virtual stay in place. And I think some of the things that have come out of the pandemic are probably going to stay with us 
you know, for a longer time to, I mean, just because they're working and they, they tend to work pretty well. Um, so, you know, kudos to Superintendent Bergeson and, and the Washington County School District for the, the way they tackled this, and um, hopefully that success will continue. Have you been able to, at your workplace, not Santa Clara, but at uh, Rosenberg and Associates, have you been able to uh, stay staffed? And, and, and if so, have you, has it, a lot of it been virtual or people are working from home, or, or are you still going into the office? Uh, we, uh, we gave the employees the option um, last spring when um, COVID broke out. The employees were given the option if they if they wanted to work from home that they were able to. If they wanted to come to the office, we mandate mask wearing um, in the office. And uh, most of our meetings went to um, Zoom style virtual meetings. Um, they're still that way. Um, most of our employees have come back. We actually had COVID go through our office you know, starting about mid October, um, and it. It went through almost the entire staff um, over about a 60-day period, starting in the middle of October. I had it before uh, Thanksgiving and had to quarantine and and work from home and and quarantine my family. That was a long two weeks. (laughs) Um, My wife and I haven't spent that much quality one-on-one time together for a long time. (laughs) She probably said something like, don't you want to go fishing or something, Rick? Yeah, Yeah, she's... In fact, she even took up fishing. She's taken up ice fishing now, and, and I don't get invited, but she asked me to put her stuff together for her, so I guess nice. that's okay. Yeah. And then right. take care of the fish when she comes home. So. Wait a minute. But, she won't gut yeah, them? You have to do the work? She won't gut them? She, she does it. She oh, does okay. it. She just has to be reminded how. Okay. So if I help her with the first couple, she'll take care of them. And, <laughs> and she had me, uh, you know, flame and smoke them, and, and they turned out really good. And so, hey, if she wants to go. Bring home the bacon, and uh, you know that's one less thing I got to worry about. But yeah, we, we, uh, I mean, COVID was was tough. It was tough on uh, um, just on not being able to see people and see your kids and and stuff like that. Having to watch my grandkids through a uh, glass window was um, that sucked. Wow. So um, how, how so sick I, how know, sick I, did you get, Rick? Did you get pretty yeah, sick? I got I got uh, the brain fog and the daily headache i had a five o'clock fever you could almost set your clock by a fever that i would get every day but it did not get into my respiratory system and so um it was i think i call it a mild case um my uh, sense of smell and taste still haven't come back really and um and that's kind of been a it's weird weird thing not being able to smell and have about everything you eat tastes the same um Hmm. Just you notice the texture and of the food, and not necessarily the taste, and wow. and um, so that part of it's been a little weird. But you know, hopefully that'll come back. The they say it takes a little while um, for that to come back in some cases. But so I'm uh, I've got my 90 day immunity that I'm still in the the mix on right now is good, and hopefully by the time I come out of the immunity, I'll be able to get a vaccine and and uh, not worry so much about it. Rick, it's uh, I gotta get a weather break in. Let's do this. Let's take a quick phone call. I think Seth has been patient. Uh, Seth wanted to ask you a question. Go ahead, Seth. You there? Yeah, I am. I am. Excuse me. Um, Hold on a second. We got a little distortion. Call me. Call me right back, Seth. We're still struggling with our phone lines, uh, uh, Mayor, and uh, it's kind of weird. If 
It, it was every caller would call. I put them on hold, and it would distort their voice. And it's gotten down to where it's uh, usually one in ten or something like that. Unfortunately, all right, there's Seth again. Seth, sorry about that. Your voice was distorting. What's up, man? Uh, every time I get COVID, I get distorted too, and maybe that comes through the um, telephone lines, huh? You've lost your sense of speech, maybe, huh? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'd like to mention to the mayor that I was a special inspect- inspector on, on some of his projects, and uh, that was 100 years ago, and uh, I caught paddlefish in Oklahoma. Uh, really? Ten uh, killer reservoir, and uh, I did the employee recruiting. And when I put up the paddlefish we caught, um, everybody seemed to be interested in coming to work for us so they could catch some. And uh, <laughs> the uh, people that went down in the dam said there were some of these creatures that were the size of Volkswagens. Ooh. And that they were sort of hesitant to be around a fish that size. <laughs> if it if it can eat you, I don't want to hunt it. Exactly, and so spoonbill or not, it was uh, a huge fish, and one good gulp, and and you and your scuba tank could be gone forever. But uh, uh, I was uh, very concerned, and I I continue to be concerned. I went to and got a chance to speak with our representatives in an open session of Congress in St. George, and uh, as per usual, uh, they all agreed that the BLM and their practices uh, were predatory and that they really didn't have the authority to own land under the Constitution the way I read it. It says that you must purchase land. And so uh, I don't think they have a legitimate uh, claim on um, uh, sequestering and suffocating the cities in in our state. And uh, there needs to be something other than a listening. I mean, I get tired of the uh, politicians listening and then doing whatever it is they choose to do and that nothing seems to happen to change the course of of our state where 70-plus percent is controlled, I won't give them the opportunity to say they own it by their policies and procedures. And there's got to be a way to, and I notice that when there's a conflict, when when there's state lands involved or city, boy, they can just pull 15,000, 20,000 acres out of their back pocket and, and no harm, no foul. Everything seems to go just perfectly. I'm wondering if there's some better way of gaining access to the huge amount of acreage. I mean, uh, I love wide open spaces, but how much sagebrush and desert do you need in your little reserve? Yeah, good point. Mayor, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I wish there was a, you know, a way that you could get some of the the talk implemented. Um, we we get a lot of talk from from our our representatives that you know they'll go back and talk to people and there seems to be some efforts you know in the last administration to make some new appointments that we felt like some of that stuff was going to start to happen at the ground and and then it just kind of 
you know, dies on the vine or rolls back when the administration changes. Um, it's, uh, it's a good point. I, uh, I can remember when there was a movement in the state legislature to, to dispute some of the, the federal um, control. And if you go back east where there's not any BLM land, all the land are private, um, and you wonder why isn't it like that out here? Um, and I, I, I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a, I'm a conservationist. I, I appreciate the the wilderness. I appreciate the ability to, to go out and enjoy those public lands. But the lands that we're talking about are these lands that are right adjacent. They border cities. Um, that it's not necessarily a pristine wilderness area. It's an area that that could be beneficial for local economies if some of that land was available for development. Um, there's been some success in, in trading Sitla ground where the, the school trust land ground has, has property in every section um, when the property was originally platted by the federal government and then they trade some of those and Sitla again gets ground adjacent to the cities, and then that ground can be developed, and we've seen some success with that in Washington County. Um, so, you know, there's some efforts that have been made, but definitely not to the level that we'd like to see. Um, and the environmental regulations are, are, are tough. I, I know they're there to protect species, but man's a species too, and, right. and uh, you know, we need... We need certain things to exist. We don't want every small town to develop into a series of skyscrapers because that's the only thing it can be. Um, that's true. We live go in the up west. And sit out. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. We live in the west. We like to have a little open space in the west, um, and we like to, you know, have our our property. And so, you know, I'd like to see something happen. The, how to make it happen? I wish I had a great answer there. I could, uh, you know, pass it along and implement it. But we'll keep trying, and and uh, hopefully we'll get some support. All right, he's Rick Rosenberg. Got to take a break. Rick, we'll be uh, right back. Welcome back to the program. It's Mayor Thursday. We are in negotiations right now with a company that wants to be a part of Mayor Thursday and uh, cross all the T's and dot all the I's and uh, get a new sponsor for the program. We're also going to look into going back on location at the local uh, breakfast establishment and have a little room to ourselves and have mayors on uh, with me every Thursday. Uh, People love Mayor Thursday, and they love guys like Rick Rosenberg. Rick, how you doing, man? I'm good. Trying to got to clean up a couple of things. Number one, I have to confess, I do not know what a paddlefish is. Can you enlighten me a little bit? Oh well, I don't know a ton about them. Um, they've got a unique bill on the front of them. They like um, kind of to to hang around in a muddy bottom uh, reservoir, um, predominantly through the Midwest. Okay, um, warm water um, type things, um, and they get really big apparently. And they can they can grow really big, um, for sure. The pictures that you see of them are, are pretty healthy fish, and uh, I'm not going to say they're a beautiful fish, but they're probably <laughs> a lot of fun to catch. Yeah, the guy. Uh, this stems from a story we read earlier in the news today. A guy uh, caught a hundred and he, th- he estimates he didn't actually have a scale with him, and he released it. But he estimates it was 110 to 120 pound paddlefish in a, a reservoir in I think it was Oklahoma. Was it uh, anyway? Uh, so, uh, have you? What's the biggest fish you've ever caught, Rick? 
I've cut uh, halibut, um, about 213-pound halibut. Wait, and you, that's about um, what and, you weigh, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I wish <laughs> I could get there. Uh, I've been going the right direction lately, but I'm still not down to that number. But That's a big yeah, fish, it was, though. It was a big fish. Um, we weren't able to boat it. Um, they pulled it alongside the the charter boat, and they have a scale along the side and then a chart that they use to estimate the weight. Um, it was bigger than a doorway, um, wow. and uh, and it was a tough fish. It took me, we were fishing at about 300 feet of water. It took me to the bottom um, four different times, and so I needed a break when we were done, but uh, it was a great fish. <laughs> yeah. Just a little break, like a hot tub is what you needed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I caught a, a tarpon in Florida that was about 110 pounds um, wow. off the coast on a fly rod, which was probably one of the highlights. Uh, but even, that's a big fish, too. And uh had a great time with that fish, but I'm, I'm thinking I'd just stick to the maybe the 20 to 30-pounders. They're a whole lot easier on the body than those giants. Yeah, good idea. Um, one of the hot topics on the show in the last few weeks has been the, the Dixie State recommending they change their name uh, from Dixie to, they haven't said what else, but from Dixie to something else. Of course, uh, at the first of the year, Dixie Regional Medical Center became St. George Regional Medical Center or, or uh, Intermountain Health St. George or something like that. Uh, and and the question, and I don't know where you stand on this, or and it doesn't really matter, uh, Mayor, but uh, the question becomes has become, where does this stop? We live in a county, Washington County, that was named after the first president of the United States, a guy who a lot of people give credit for helping the U.S. become the United States, and uh, and yet he was a slave owner. And with the culture we're in, uh, some call it cancel culture or being woke or whatever, uh, the question keeps being asked, where does it stop? And, you know, I would ask you, what I, I don't know the origin of the name Santa Clara, but uh, probably somebody somewhere is going to be offended by the name Santa Clara at some point, Mayor, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Santa Clara comes from the river. Um, the Rio Santa, I think, is how it was on some of the earliest maps um, mm-hmm. in the territory. And so I'm assuming that it kind of come that way. But, uh, yeah, in today's culture, it's, it's tough. I hate, to see, I hate to see us go away from what made us great. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the Dixie name is, is tied to this community, and, and I'm a firm believer in the Dixie spirit. Um, and I've watched it work with its people. And I hate to see us uh, lose our, our monuments and, and lose our history. Um, you know, because of you know the culture and 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 the perception of it, I may think there's a lot of positive with the with the history as well. Like you say, um, with what you know President Washington did over his entire lifetime mm-hmm. for this country, um, what a lot of those leaders have done, and and yeah, they weren't perfect. They had uh, they had some things that we look at now and say, yeah, that was bad. But at the time, that was life, and um, you know whatever you know the the regents and the legislature decides to do with with Dixie College, you know we will see. Um, but I hate to see Dixie come out of the history of this community. It's it's an important part of it, and and it's a good thing. It's not a negative thing, and so I hate to see that happen. 
Do you feel like as a mayor there's anything that you could do to to ensure the integrity of your history in Santa Clara? And I would ask the same, you know, guys like Kenny Nielsen at Washington City, uh, even St. George, you know, you could, I'm sure you could find a way to go, well, St. George, who's it named after? Uh, oh, a Mormon leader. Well, I'm, I'm offended that the town would be named after a former Mormon leader. You know what I mean? I, is there anything... Uh, Rick, that you can do as as mayor of Santa Clara to make sure that this doesn't keep growing. Well, I think we can we can do things to help educate people on certain things on the on the history of Santa Clara. I, uh, you know, Santa Clara's history is is tied to the um, you know the Swiss colony and the and the pioneers that came and settled the city. Um, the Mormon missionaries that were here before them and the Native Americans that were here. And, you know, hopefully people don't come in and try and change that. Um, we have a really strong um, historical society in Santa Clara that has made a tremendous effort to document the history of the of the settlement. Um, there's a beautiful museum in the basement of Town Hall that uh, people are welcome to, to come and enjoy and look at some of the artifacts that were donated by the, the families that settled the area. Um, there's some wonderful Native American artifacts in there as well uh, from the Native Americans that were here. And we have, uh, you know, the Swiss Day celebration every year in September is focused around celebrating that that history of the community and and providing opportunities for our young people to learn some of those skills. Um, they have a skill demonstration, a hands-on demonstration every year as part of Swiss Days to so that some of those skills don't get lost um, as time passes. And um, we, we do a lot, I think mayors can do a lot to help promote those types of activities and make sure that they stay um, active within the community, um, listen to the to the people I love to, to read some of the pioneer diaries and some of the pioneer stories. Um, and, um, you know, I take some pride in, in my families. Um, my families came down and settled Cedar city in iron County. Um, but I had a, a great, great, great grandfather that was one of the early leaders in Santa Clara and didn't know that until I actually moved to Santa Clara. And, um, take a lot of, of pride in that and uh, brag about it to my kids once in a while, make sure they know about it. Yeah. And um, I think it's good for us to, to keep that heritage alive, to keep that history alive, keep that spirit alive. And um, you know, when people from the outside want to come in and change stuff, then, I'm, you know, I'm, for me, I'm going to resist that change. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to support our heritage. Yeah, unfortunately, we do get a lot, not unfortunately that people move here. We, I'm, I'm all for people living here and, and enjoying, I, I mean, I don't want to be selfish and say, well, you can't live where I love. Uh, you know, it, it, that's not fair. But uh, people are going to come in, and when they come in, many of them are going to say, well, that that make, that offends me. That, oh, well, you, you know, Switzerland, you know, the, the Swiss heritage, those were, those were Caucasian. Those were white Europeans. And I'm offended that there's not more diversity. That's another popular word they, they like to use, Mayor. And so I guess, I, you know, like, like I said, I already asked you, but I guess I, I'm curious as to how, how we can or can we even make the people that come in and want to change and, and want, to, want to be offended by what we hold dear 
what what can we do? I, I, I guess I'm pretty frustrated right now, Rick. You know what? I think we got to remember that we, we control one person. Um, we control ourselves. Yeah. Um, our efforts to control others are what gets us into trouble with this type of thing. And so I think we can help try and educate the way we feel the way we do. Um, but we can't force people to to believe the way we do on everything and agree with us every time we turn around. There's... Uh, there's going to be some some disagreement, and there's going to be there's always going to be conflict, um, and uh, I think we just do our best to to maintain our beliefs and maintain our character and our integrity and the integrity of our of our ancestors, and uh, you know just do the best we can. Recognize that, that people are going to come in and and they're going to say things and they're going to demand things and um, when they result in a conflict with your personal beliefs, and then I think you have to stand up and and uh, you know defend what you stand for, defend your character. Well said. He's Rick Rosenberg, mayor of Santa Clara City. Rick, I'm gonna let you go. Get ready for. I know you have a 10 o'clock meeting, but thank you so much for spending a few minutes with today uh, with us today on the Andy Griffin Show. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Same here, Andy. You guys have a great day. Appreciate you. Thank you, Rick. Rick Rosenberg from the uh, Santa Clara Santa Clara City Mayor. And doing a great job out there. Uh, All right. Now, I've got to get a commercial break in. I did spend a few minutes today with Mike Lee, the U.S. Senator. We're going to get his thoughts uh, here in just a second as well. Uh, By the way, thank you to Joe Shoney. Joe Shoney is a sponsor of the show and has been since its inception uh, for many years involved. in. he puts his money where his mouth is. He says, look, my my specialty as a loan officer, uh, yeah, I can get you the rates. Yeah, I can get you this, that, and the other thing. But uh, what I want to do is make sure that you are 100% involved, that you know every step of the way what's happening. And so, uh, you know, Rick and or Joe and his team will send you uh, emails. They'll make phone calls. They'll send you texts to make sure that you know exactly what's going on and where you're at. That's the best that you can ask for. That's Joe Shoney. The phone number is 435-590-6300. Online reviews don't lie. 4.91 out of 5 stars. That's over 500 reviews. It's Joe Shoney, 435-590-6300. Back with Mike Lee right after this. Good morning to you, 750 on KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin down here in St. George in Washington, D.C. We've got Mike Lee, Senator on the line. Mike, great to talk to you again. How's everything going? It's going great. Thank you very much. Uh, we had a conversation earlier today uh, with our political analyst, but maybe if you can talk a little bit more. These executive orders, Joe Biden seems to be going crazy with the pen. Can he do that? And do we have any recourse as a, as a people and you as a senator? Unfortunately, the answer to those questions are, are for the immediate term yes and no in that order. He can do that, and we don't have any immediate recourse. The good news is that we have recourse long term, which is that, Sadly, this has been enabled by Congresses. Congress is under the leadership of Republicans and Democrats in the House and in the Senate over many, many decades. We have enabled this problem by passing broad, inclusive laws that give way too much power to the executive branch of government. I've been calling for a long time and during Democratic and Republican administrations to rein back in that power and uh, to put the people's elected lawmakers in charge of making policy, which is essentially what these things do. 
Uh, here in conservative little old St. George, uh, we're frustrated with the fact that it, the government seems to be uh, going ahead, especially the, the liberal leaders, Democrat leaders, with this impeachment process for a president who is now a private citizen and no longer a president. Your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the impeachment proceedings brought against a former president of the United States are jurisdictionally infirm, as I read the relevant provisions of the U.S. Constitution. Under Article 1, Section 3, we have jurisdiction to try the impeachments of public officials, of federal officers, including the president and vice president of the United States. Uh, While the language in question could arguably be read either way, I believe that the more correct reading and the more natural reading is the one that says our jurisdiction terminates the minute the official leaves office, particularly where, as here, President Trump uh, had his term of office expire at noon on January 20th. That's the end of the matter. I don't believe we have jurisdiction. All right. Uh, again, we're talking with Senator Mike Lee, uh, Republican from uh, right here in the great state of Utah. Mike, what do you see as maybe the biggest challenge for you going forward here, just in the immediate future as a, as a Republican senator? I think the greatest challenge we've got is, uh, again, to try to rebalance the power that has shifted away from the people's elected lawmakers in Washington over to the executive branch of government. This has accrued slowly over the last 85 years or so. It's not going to be something we can solve overnight, but it is something we have to solve. You know, I thought it was interesting that during President Biden's inaugural speech, he called repeatedly for unity. And then the day after started issuing executive orders that are anything but unifying. These are orders that, in our state in particular, are going to destroy tens, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs. They're going to be devastating for certain segments of Utah's economy. These aren't unifying. Look, the fact is that the American people disagree fundamentally on many aspects of what consists of the federal government's rule. But the best way we can unify is to agree that not every decision has to be made in the federal government. A lot of decisions, a lot of our most important decisions, can and properly should be made at the state and local level. And I think that's where we've got to be moving over the next two or three years. Well said, Mike Lee. And by the way, uh, we we interpreted his word unity here in southern Utah to mean conformity, which is something we're not down with <laughs> down here in southern Utah, Mike. So, uh, Do what we say, in other words. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We appreciate you fighting for the greater good. We feel like, uh, uh, you know, you're out there doing uh, doing what you can. Uh, is the Senate really going to change a lot now because of the way things have shifted with this last election? Sadly, they will be changing significantly. Just mm. to cite one example, um, this is uh, Life Week, uh, the, the, the week that we celebrate the sanctity of human life and yeah. as we, we mourn the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. Typically during Life Week, as we've been in the majority over the last six years, we as Republican senators have had the opportunity to vote on pro-life legislation during Life Week. Just out of uh, muscle memory and habit yesterday, I found myself asking my staff, when this week will we be voting on pro-life legislation? And as soon as I had uttered those words, I remembered, oh, yeah, we're not in charge of the voting schedule anymore. That's now up to Chuck Schumer. He's not really into life legislation. Yeah. All right, Mike. I know you got to go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be hearing from you quite often, hopefully every week. Mike, I know you're a busy man, but thank you so much. We appreciate it. And keep up the – well, fight's a good fight, man. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. All right, Mike Lee, Republican senator, U.S. senator from the state of Utah.